Morning, church. It's great to be here with you this morning uh, together to worship, to come before the Lord. Uh, Let's start with our scripture memory verse today. And again, uh, Beth helped us out in the office this week by putting it on the front of our weekly as we near the end of our month. We've been singing it, and someone mentioned to me that because we sing it, it's hard not to say they are new every morning twice. Because, you know, when we sing it, we sing it twice. And it's interesting, when we sang it today, I was listening for thy and your. And, and I heard a little bit of both. And again, that's okay. That's all right. It doesn't matter King James, ESV, or whatever version you use. Uh, it's just good to be hiding the Word of God in our hearts. Amen? Amen. So here we go. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Lamentations 3, 22 to 23. Very good. Let's pray. Father God, there are so many voices in this world that we live in today. We are surrounded by opinions by thoughts, by the way other people think about different things. It seems like it's ever before us. News outlets, newspapers, talk radio, all the thoughts and voices of man ever before us. And yet it's for this period of time each week that we gather corporately as a body of Christ, to hear your words and to hear your voice. And Lord, we know that your word is powerful. We know it's life-changing. We know that it's active. We know that it's living. We know that it's ever-relevant. And that's why we gather together as a body to study it. And so this morning, Lord, as we open your word and as we begin to unpack this magnificent truth that you are our good shepherd, use your word to help us grow, Father. Use it to change us in some way so that we might leave here motivated to grow in a greater love for you, compelled by the love that we've been shown by the Good Shepherd to love others in the same way that we've been loved. Lord, we will give You the glory for what You accomplish in our time together this morning through Your Word. We pray now Your Spirit would begin to work. In Jesus' name, Amen. We've been studying the book of John and we've been studying it in reason for why it was written, the purpose for why it is written. And again, you see this verse a lot, and that's good because guess what next month's memory verse is? John 20, 30, and 31. So as you see it on the screen before you, keep pressing it in your mind. We're going to be memorizing that one together next month as a congregation. And we have also been beginning, starting two weeks ago, we started to break down the chapters. And remember, we won't go through this again, but it's before you. The 10 W's of John 1 to 10 that help us to remember the outline of John 1 through 10. 
And in this particular portion of John, John 7 through 10, we've been continuing to unpack this broader question that is relevant and evident throughout these entire three chapters. Who is Jesus? And boy, the answer to that question is plain and clear in our text over the next few weeks. We're going to see that Jesus is the door to the sheepfold. And that He is the Good Shepherd. And as we open John chapter 10, we're going to, over the next three weeks, unpack verses 1 through 21. And as we go through verses 1 through 21, there are these five prevailing questions that hang over this text that we're going to unpack together. And you have these note guides before you today. Let me pull mine out so I can show you. And... In your note guides, on the front of your note guides there, there are five questions. The five questions that are prevailing over this text. And what we are going to do each week is we are going to use these five questions through the next two weeks of our study, and we're going to add to them. So that each week you get the same note guide, just with the notes from the week before added into it. So that our hope is at the end of three weeks, You'll have a note guide with all five questions and the answer to all five questions nice and filled out on it. And as usual, on the back of your note guide is a discussion guide that we pray you might use uh, at some point in the week, whether it's with your family or whether it's with your friends, uh, to use as an opportunity to grow in a greater love for God and a greater love for each other. So we are in John chapter 10 today. Please take your Bibles and turn there, John chapter 10. We're going to be looking this morning at verses 1 through 6 of John chapter 10. The Good Shepherd. John chapter 10, verses 1 to 6. Truly, truly, I say to you, He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. What did sheep keeping look like? In the ancient Near East. And what you have before you this morning is a picture of what scholars believe an ancient sheepfold may have looked like. Now the only thing that you really can't notice from that picture, just kind of because of the image quality, is at the top of the wall there, surrounding the wall, many scholars believe there would have been uh, thistles, thorns, and, and plants that were very sharp and prickly to keep out predators, and to keep out those who may try to scale the wall to get in to the sheep. But many of the ancient sheepfolds were actually shared between families. 
It was not normal for one family to have a sheepfold all to themselves. Many families shared a sheepfold. And so multiple families would work together to see that the sheepfold would be built. As you can see, it's a rather extensive project, not something that one family would undertake on their own, but that many would work together to build. And they would use that sheepfold to keep their flocks in it and to keep them safe at night. And these sheepfolds obviously were built high enough that a wolf or another animal could not get in from the outside. And the families would then hire for themselves a gatekeeper. Everybody see the gate there at the front of the sheepfold? It's kind of that red, that red image there at the very front. And the gatekeeper's job as hired by the family is that he would set out in front of the gate Uh, in front of the opening by night, and he would protect the sheep and keep watch over the sheep that nothing might get in and disrupt or scatter the flock. And at some point in the morning, the shepherds, probably members of the families who had sheep in the sheepfold, they would come to the gate and the gatekeeper. And if they were allowed access because the gatekeeper knew who they were, they were considered safe and allowed to take out the flock, then that gatekeeper would allow the shepherd in. And the shepherd would go in and he'd lead his sheep out. His sheep, not all the sheep. The sheep that belonged to the family that he was working for. He'd lead them out into pastures. And we know this, that sheep by nature would only follow the voice of their own shepherd. And so Jesus begins John chapter 10 by continuing this contrast that we saw in John chapter 9. Division between children of darkness and children of light. And we may ask the question, and I think it's a safe question to ask, why does this follow John chapter 9? Why does John 10 follow John chapter 9? At the end... Of John chapter 9, Jesus is talking to thieves and robbers. Their titles actually were the Pharisees and the religious leaders. But friends, let's let's not mistake and understand what they truly were. They were thieves and they were robbers. And as we begin to study this text this morning, I think it's interesting that John Chapter 10, verses 1 through 6, verses 1 and verse 5 bookend the reality that outside of the sheepfold, there is danger. And so we want to begin our study today by coupling together verses 1 to 5 and then studying verses 2, 3, and 4. Let's start in verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in another way, that man is a thief. He is a robber. And we know at the end of John chapter 9, Jesus has just finished identifying for the Pharisees and the religious leaders their blindness. Remember, he had called them in Matthew blind guides. They had a propensity to lead the people of God astray guided by their attachment to their own human tradition and their own human standards and their own human ways of doing things, they had not entered the sheepfold the proper way. They had not entered. 
Rather, friends, they had created their own way into the sheepfold. We've come to find the Pharisees and the religious leaders to be people who were blindly committed to following God their own way. So blindly committed to it that they missed the light of the world who was working in their midst. The door to the sheepfold was always available to them. They could have easily used it. They shouldn't have missed it, but they did. The patterns of their lives created by their strict adherence to man-made tradition made them wall hoppers. They were the thieves. They were the robbers right here at the beginning of John chapter 10. And by the way, which way is more difficult? When you go back and think of that picture, is it, is it more difficult to enter through the gate? Or is it more difficult to have to climb up over the wall and get in? I mean, in regards to hard work, in regards to your own effort, in regards to looking like you were really put through the ringer, which way is the way to go? Climbing the wall, right? Boy, I worked hard. I got all scraped up by those stones and the thistles and the thorns, but I, I really look good. I look like I did a lot to get in here with the sheep. Much harder. But going in by their own efforts... By their own hard work. You remember the posture and the attitude of the Pharisees? Lord, thank you for not letting me behave or live or look like this person. What was the example of Jesus? Coming as an infant. Coming in weakness. Living among us as we are. There couldn't be a starker contrast. Having someone open the gate for you is a much easier proposition than climbing into the sheepfold by your own efforts. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest in your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Hmm. Not only is this way improper because it relies on human effort and human ability, but this way is improper because it disrupts the sheep. It puts the interest of the Folks that are climbing in over the wall, over the best interests of the flock and of the sheep. The thieves and the robbers that enter by climbing over the wall, they create anxiety. They create fear. They cause calamity among the sheep. They scatter the sheep. They disrupt the peace. By the way, do any of you know people in your own life that do this to you? They cause consternation. They disrupt your peace. Calamity, anxiety. The two words that Jesus uses here give us further insight into the behavior of these individuals. A thief was a person who was deceitful, who was entering a place that he did not belong. That's what a thief was. A robber was also a thief, but there's another level to a robber. You see, a robber is also accompanied by destruction, violence, and the mistreatment of property that does not belong to him. Thieves and robbers. 
Friends, the thief and the robber, they have their own best interest in mind. Their behaviors and actions are not in the best interests of the sheep. And unfortunately for the nation of Israel and for the people who were living at the time, this was not the only time in Israelite history where people were being led by thieves and robbers. Keep your fingers in John chapter 10 and turn back with me to Ezekiel chapter 34. It's in the Old Testament. Ezekiel chapter 24, after the Psalms, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. I'm sorry I don't have like an acronym for that like I did the other week. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. And we're in Ezekiel chapter 34. And we're not going to read the whole thing, but I want you to see that this was not the first time in the history of the people that they were being misled, mistreated, and abused by the own people who were supposed to be leading and guiding them. Ezekiel chapter 34, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds. Thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat. You clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought. And with the force and harshness you have ruled them. So look what happened. This is verse 5. What happened to the sheep? So the sheep were scattered. There was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over the face of the earth with none to search and seek for them. Turn back to John chapter 10. The one who climbs in by another way cares not for the sheep, friends. He is a stranger. He's a stranger. Take a look at verse 5. We want to remember we're connecting verse 1 and verse 5. Jesus bookends this section with those two examples of life outside of the sheepfold. It's dangerous. There's thieves, there's robbers, there's strangers. Look at verse 5. A stranger they will not follow. They will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. They do not know the voice of strangers. Sheep won't follow a stranger. Jesus confirmed this in Matthew 23. The people were not to follow the works of the religious leaders and the Pharisees because they did not practice what they were preaching. John chapter 8, verse 47, whoever is of God, whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason you do not hear them, he's talking to the Pharisees and religious leaders, is that you are not of God. Friends, they were strangers. Strangers. It's the natural instinct of sheep to flee from a stranger. I don't know if any of you have ever jumped in a sheep pen before, but if you ever jumped in a sheep pen of sheep that don't belong to you, I'm not, I'm not saying that's a good practice. 
But if you ever have, I, I think that the sheep would run. They'd be scared. It's often we see with sheep. Many in our culture today have strange voices. Do they not, friends? There are many strange voices in our world today. Many calling us to accept or to believe new teachings. I've found a new teaching. Or, hey, this is brand new. This has never been done before. No one's ever done it this way. We have to start doing it like this because it's never been done and it's working. What does God's word say? There's nothing new under the sun. There's nothing new, but there's words, there's voices out there, friends, that are calling us to live or to abide by new culturally accepted behaviors or or norms that are clearly against scriptural teaching in the word of God. Flee, friends, flee. If it doesn't sound right, assume it isn't. Flee from those voices. The most dangerous thing, church, is heresy. It's the most dangerous because heresy always comes into a church through sounding good. Heresy doesn't sound bad. Otherwise, no one would bite. No one would listen. No one would hear. It wouldn't be accepted. But it always creeps in because it sounds good to the ear. It tickles. But friends, once it gets in amongst the flock, it's like poison and it will kill a flock. It will kill a flock. It looks pretty. It sounds good. But in the end, it's destructive and divisive. Friends, we've said this before, but it... it, It's important to say it again, come from the Bible. When we're talking with folks and we're hearing other people's thoughts and opinions, the Bible has God's life-giving words. It has living, active, powerful truth that's true forever. It never stops being true. We know not the words of strangers and what dangerous and divisive behaviors they might be motivating. Coming from the Bible is always safer than coming from our own experiences, our own emotions, our own feelings, or our own self-perceived ideas. Well, this is what I think. I I preach that to myself, friends, because there are times. This is what I believe. This is what I think. What does Jesus say? What does his word teach? Let's come from there, because that's where we're the safest And the most secure. The voice of the stranger scatters the flock. The voice of Jesus. Sought out in his scriptures. Unites. Energizes. And truly motivates the flock. Towards growing in a greater love for God. And a greater love. For each other. So what does our good shepherd do? What does he do? What are the patterns of his behavior? How does he lead? Let's take a look at verse 2. To see the behavior of the good shepherd. He who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. And so we see from the very beginning that the good shepherd is one who enters by the gate. The way you're supposed to go in. The one who enters by the door is qualified to be the shepherd of the sheep. And here's a broader question for us as we sit here today. Many of us are sheep who know Jesus Why do we need a shepherd? Why do we even need a shepherd? 
Couldn't the gatekeeper by himself just let the sheep out to graze? Hey, it's morning. Go out, sheep. Have fun. Go out, graze. Enjoy the pastures. Not the best idea. Unsupervised sheep, friends, inevitably they'll go astray. They become lost. Sheep will get lost without their shepherd. Or worse, what's worse than getting lost? Becoming dinner. I think that's worse than getting lost. Now, unsupervised sheep, not only would they go astray, but most likely they become dinner for another animal. That's no doubt excited. Some might become sick. Some may become injured. Some may even drown. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Friends, sheep need a shepherd. We need a shepherd. We are so weird. I am so weird. I'm sorry. I'll just go individual on that one. Maybe you don't want to admit you're weird today. That's okay. I mean, I I don't know if any of you in here have ever started something thinking, hey, this will be really fun and exciting. And then you get into it only to realize this is not fun and exciting. I don't like this at all. That's been the last few weeks of our life as we've been moving. (laughs) It sounded great. It sounded great. But I'm going to tell you, as I stand up here today, I was in tears this morning at 6 o'clock in the morning, back in that office, literally in tears. And you can ask my wife, I don't think, I bet she could count on her hand the number of times I have called her on a Sunday morning at 7.15 a.m. But guess what? I needed it this morning. Because I am weak and weird, and I'm consistently reminded of my need for a good shepherd, because like a sheep, I can get scared You know, it's not fun to be unsettled, to live in a house that doesn't feel like a home anymore because there's nothing in it. It's empty. Kids sleeping on the floor. We're sitting Indian style, eating. That's that's good in some cultures, but we're not used to that. We need a shepherd. And, And throughout the history of the Israelite people, God always provided someone to serve as a shepherd for the people. Did he not? Look in Numbers chapter 27. It's on the screen. Moses spoke to the Lord saying, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation who should do what? Go out before them. Now wait till you see how that connects to John chapter 10, where we're at. He's going to go out before them, come in before them. He's going to lead them out. He's going to bring them in that the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep that have no shepherd. So the Lord said to Moses, take Joshua. And Joshua shepherded the people of the Lord. But friends, even though he used people to shepherd the people, God was always the great shepherd of his people. Isaiah chapter 63, verse 11, Then he remembered the days of old of Moses and his people. Where is he who brought them up out of the sea? with the shepherds of his flock? Where is he who put in the midst of them his Holy Spirit? Psalm chapter 77, verse 20. You led your people like a flock. It was God who was leading by the hand of Moses and Aaron and Joshua. Psalm chapter 78, verse 52. Then he led out his people like sheep 
and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. And all of us know, and we're going to say it together because it's very fitting. What psalm are we going to say together this morning? Psalm 23, right? Let's say it together. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for You are with me. Your rod and Your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What great comfort. What great comfort. And friends, the Lord has never ceased in the shepherding of His people. He tends and cares for His flock like a good shepherd. The shepherd was among His sheep He had entered the door of God's sovereign plan of salvation. And look at verse 3. To Him, the gatekeeper opens. The good shepherd with access to His sheep now begins to lead and guide them. And once He comes through the door, one of the first actions that He takes is He speaks. He speaks. The Bible makes a compelling case from beginning to end regarding the power of God's Word. What does it say in verse 3? The sheep hear His voice. He's spoken. In the beginning, God says. Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God said with His voice, let there be light. And there was light. John chapter 1, the very beginning of John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word. The shepherd speaks. And friends, the voice of the shepherd is evidence of his presence amongst the sheep. And that's why his Word should be so comforting to us. In difficult times and trying times when there's all kinds of uncertainty and turmoil in his life, the voice of the shepherd is what's most comforting. That's why we should go there. The most comforting place we should go. And the incarnation of Jesus, Jesus coming as one of us, is perhaps the most incredible rescue mission in the history of the world. Ezekiel chapter 34, the shepherd... It's the sheep. The sheep in Ezekiel chapter 24 or 34, they they get scattered. They're everywhere. The sheep are all over creation. And God sends a shepherd to bring them together from every tribe, from every nation, from every tongue, language. One shepherd to unite them all. And the shepherd's voice, friends, it should always provoke feelings of security and peace amongst the sheep. When the sheep hear his voice, there's excitement. 
They've been resting all night. They've been sleeping in the sheepfold, and now it's morning. It's time to go out to pasture, and they hear the voice of their shepherd, and they're excited. Their daily needs are about to be met. He is going to lead them into green pastures. He's going to lead us beside still waters. He guides us to our daily provision. And as he does that, friends, our souls are restored as we are hydrated and nourished by his provision. There's no need to be fearful or to have anxiety in the presence of the good shepherd. There's no reason. There's protection that surrounds us when he is present with us. And we know what the Bible says. For those who are his, he will never leave us nor forsake us. Should anything come against the flock, the shepherd will act to preserve and protect the flock. And so we see that he enters through the door and we see that he speaks. But how do his sheep respond? How do we respond? Those of us that are here today that would consider ourselves to be sheep, Lining ourselves with the good shepherd, how do we respond? The first response is that the sheep hear his voice. It says it right in verse 3. There were many who Jesus was speaking to. The Pharisees, the religious leaders. There were many who considered themselves spiritual that could not hear his voice. Wasn't that amazing? I mean, I, am never, I never grow weary of seeing that in the book of John. That here Jesus is amidst his people and he's proclaiming himself to be exactly who he's supposed to be. And John the Baptist is going before him exactly how the Old Testament said it would be. And Jesus is speaking and he's teaching. And there are so many people that are hearing his words, but only the sheep are hearing his voice. Only the sheep are hearing and responding to his voice. Real sheep hear the voice of Jesus, their shepherd, and respond. And it's interesting, he doesn't just enter by the door, he doesn't just speak, but when he speaks, what does he say? What does it say in verse 3? He calls his own sheep by name. Wow. That's incredible. The Savior of the universe The shepherd sent to gather the flock, the sheep that had been scattered all over the earth. And somehow he knows your voice, or your your name, and my name, everyone's name, who he calls. Friends, he knows us intimately. Many sheep were named by the shepherd. And, and, And as shepherds were guiding their flock in the wilderness, one of the things that we know about the reality of shepherds is that they did name their sheep. And oftentimes, shepherds would name their sheep for some kind of incident that happened in the life of that sheep or some kind of abnormality on the sheep. Maybe they had a patch of black uh, wool or something and they would have some kind of nickname uh, based on that. Or maybe they fell and got stuck in the rocks and they called this sheep Rocky. I don't know. They had all kinds of different names for their sheep based on the things that were going on in the sheep's life. And it said in the ancient Near East that a good shepherd would be able to identify each individual member of his flock by name, even if blindfolded. How amazing is that? In fact, there's, there's writings that describe a shepherd in the ancient Near East 
who was blindfolded and a man was bringing his sheep to him one by one and he could feel the face and the body of each sheep and know that sheep by name. That is how well a shepherd would know his flock. And we talk a lot about shepherds having to count their sheep at night to make sure all of them got into the sheepfold. But the reality is, as you study this, the, the shepherds that knew their flock the best never had to count because they could tell just by looking at the flock when one was missing. They didn't have to count. They could just tell, hey, something's not right here. One's missing. Many shepherds. And didn't, didn't we see this reality in Jesus' life? Didn't he model this as well? He knew his sheep so well, didn't he? John chapter 1, verse 42. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and he said, You are Simon, the son of John. And what does he do next? What does he do? He gives him a name. And it's, it's kind of a fitting name, isn't it? You should be called Cephas, which means Peter. And remember how we said before, Jesus only does what he sees the Father doing? Isn't this further evidence of that? Who else gave new names to his people? God. Old Testament characters such as Abram, whose name was changed to Abraham. Sarai, whose name was changed to Sarah. Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. Jesus is doing what he saw his father do. And it happens over and over and over again. John chapter 1, verses 47 and 48. Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him and said to him, look how well Jesus knew Nathanael, never physically meeting him before. Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Matthew 10, verse 30, but even the hairs of your head, don't even laugh, are numbered. You're all laughing. It's great. Make me feel really good about myself up here. I tell my kids all the time, I have hair, it's just a lot shorter than theirs. No one knows his flock better than the shepherd. It's, it's just like in farming. You know, Sheila's grandfather was a dairy farmer. Many of you in here have connections to farming. I think you would agree. No one knows your animals better than you. You know them better than anyone else. You know their behaviors, their habits as they come, as they go. You know when something's not right in one of them, when something's off, because you're with them all the time. Sounds like a shepherd who's deeply concerned for the health and the welfare of his sheep. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19. God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. Let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Not only did Jesus know his sheep's names, but he was also aware of their condition. John chapter 2, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing, but Jesus on his part did not entrust himself, himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, 
for he himself knew what was in man. And it follows again that if Jesus did the exact same things he saw the Father doing, and if the Father knew his people by name, so too would the Son. By now, thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. And what else, what else does the good shepherd do? He enters by the gate, he speaks, he calls his sheep by name, and at the end of verse 3, he leads them out. He leads them out. And it was struck by a curious question here, where are the sheep most safe? Are they safer in the sheepfold? Or are they safer in the presence of their shepherd? Even when outside the protection of the sheepfold. It's a curious question. I'm going to leave it there. Uh, I don't want to go into too much conjecture with it. But I think it's interesting that the sheep were probably most safest in the presence of their shepherd and not inside the sheepfold. And so the shepherd leads them out. He leads them out. Sheep need a leader. They need someone to lead them out. We have players in the locker room. All they want to do, they don't want to go out to practice because practice is hard. The locker room's like their sheepfold. They want to sit in there and talk to each other and gab and look at their muscles in the mirror and all this stuff. That's what guys do in the locker room. So we have to have a coach every day. And guess what the coach's only job is before practice? To make sure that all the sheep get out to the pasture. They don't want to go. He's got to lead them out. Come on, get out. Get out of the locker room. Get down to practice. Stop looking at yourself in the mirror. Let's go. Come on. That's literally what it's like. The shepherd knows the landscape. He knows where the rocks are. He knows where the poisonous plants are. He knows where the streams are flowing too fast for the sheep to safely drink from. He knows where the predators dwell. He is perfectly acquainted with the land, and so he is perfectly suited to lead his sheep out safely and securely into a world of unknowns. Friends, it's it's a lesson for us to not allow the unknowns in this life to paralyze us with fear. Because we have a shepherd who goes before us who knows those things perfectly. He's leading, he's guiding, directing, he's going before the sheep. It is the Lord who goes before you in Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 8. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Deuteronomy 1.30, the Lord, your God, goes before you. Isaiah chapter 52, I will, or 40, 45, verse 2, I will go before you. Isaiah chapter 52, for you shall not go out in haste. You shall not go out in flight. The Lord will go before you. Numbers chapter 14, and they will tell the inhabitants of this land, they have heard that you, O Lord, are in the midst of the people. For you, O Lord, are seen face to face, and your cloud stands over them, and you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. He goes before us. He assembles us. It implies that he's intentional. He's prepared. He's focused. He is ready and able to lead us. Over 200 times in the Bible do we find direct evidence pointing to the reality that God is with us. 
He's going before us, fighting our battles, directing our footsteps. He's motivating our hearts. He's transforming our minds. He's moving our hands and our feet and accomplishing His plan for our lives as He leads us daily. So how do the sheep respond to this kind of leadership? It's in verse 4. We saw earlier, first the sheep hear His voice. Hear the voice, but now look at verse 4. They follow Him. They follow Him. And isn't this exactly what happened when Jesus called His first disciples in Matthew chapter 4? While walking by the Sea of Galilee, He saw two brothers, Simon and Andrew, His brother, casting a net into the sea. They were fishermen. And He said to them, Follow Me and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed Him. They followed Him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending the nets. And he called them and immediately left their boat. They left their father and they followed him. Friends, we do not create ourselves. We are the product of the influences of many men and women that God has directed into our pathways. And one of the greatest paradoxes in leadership is this, that oftentimes the greatest followers make the best leaders. I'll say that again. Oftentimes the greatest followers make the best leaders. Friends, follow the good shepherd. Follow Jesus. He will never misguide us. He will never lead us astray. I pray that we would be able to know and we would be able to discern His voice in the midst of so many other voices in our culture today. The sheep hear His voice and they follow Him and they follow Him because they know His voice. They know His voice. It's a different voice than the cacophony of voices that surround us every day something is different true sheep friends are not led astray or seduced by other voices and when they are they quickly come back to the voice of the good shepherd the true shepherd and they follow that voice so as a review what what kind of leader what kind of shepherd is jesus what does the good shepherd do you see there's six characteristics there how do the sheep respond they hear His voice, they believe His words because they know His voice. What about the thieves? Who were the thieves? The thieves are the religious leaders. Jesus is alluding to the Pharisees and religious leaders here at the beginning of John chapter 10. And what do the thieves do? They put their own interests before the flocks. They enter their own way. They enter by their own efforts. They create fear and anxiety and they scatter and confuse the sheep, not leading as good shepherds, ruling as blind guides and hypocrites. So how might our lives look in light of these realities? And friends, I would encourage you today that there are many strange voices in our culture, in our world. Focus on the voice of God from His Word. Can we unite in that? His Word is powerful, friends. And if we focus on His words through the Bible, we're in a much better place than if we listen to all of the other voices that are ringing out there in our world today. 
as you go today, we have something for you. It's a gift, but it's not a gift for you to keep. It's a gift for you to give away. And what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to take some time to consider who is it in your life that the Lord has directed into your pathway that you are to be more intentional with. That perhaps you are to be shepherding. You are to be guiding. Maybe it's a person that's a believer. Maybe it's a person that's not a believer yet. As you leave today, our ushers in the back are going to have the Gospel of John available for you. And again, I'd like you to take one. But here's why I'd like you to take it. And here's what I would like you to really prayerfully do and consider with it. Who is it in your life that you could give the gift of the Word of God to? That perhaps you could say, hey, listen, I know there's a lot going on in your life. You're probably hearing a lot of voices. There's probably a lot of people telling you this way's best or that way's best or this is what you should do or that's what you should do. But I, I want to share with you, when I have big decisions in my life, when I have things that I'm trying to figure out in my life, the Word of God is really powerful. And this is the book of John. Maybe you could take it and read it 